Hi everyone, it's Paola Diana and this is Unleash the Game Changers. Today our guest is a journalist who worked for The Economist since 2005. She just published a book called Trans, When Ideology Meets Reality. Thank you, Helen Joyce, for being here with us today and welcome. Well, thank you so much. So today I would like to talk with you about the trans craze because uh, this is a very important subject. It's taking a lot of my time because I'm trying to understand as much as I can. But it's very difficult. I tell you the truth, it's, it's quite confusing sometimes. And all the friends that I have, they don't really understand what's going on. So I'm sure that out there people, they don't know everything that you know. And that's why actually I tell everyone they should buy your book and I hope after this uh, you know, episode with you, they will because it's so important for women, for children, and for the society to understand what is gender ideology and why we are in this situation. Well, thank you, and I completely endorse that message, of course. I want people to buy my book and read it. But the funny thing is, it's a topic that's both complicated and very, very simple. So at its heart is an extremely simple idea, as I say in the book's introduction, and that idea is what I call gender identity ideology. It's the idea that what makes us either men or women, or indeed boys or girls if you're younger, isn't just the thing that you were conceived, male or female. It's an idea, a feeling, um, a feeling that you express. So a woman becomes somebody who says they're a woman, who feels like a woman. A man is somebody who says they're a man, feels like a man. And this is very simple. It took me, what, 30 seconds to say. But actually it has huge ramifications, so many that, uh, you know, I've written a book of 85,000 words about it and I've barely scratched the surface of some bits of it. Yeah, of course. But is it really possible, in your opinion, to change sex? Oh, of course not. I mean, um, there are animals that can change sex, but no mammals, and we're mammals. So you know, clownfish can change sex, but I don't know what relevance that has for human beings. So until relatively recently no one thought that you could change sex, that wasn't the claim. Uh, so when we had people who were deeply unhappy with their biological sex, people who were called transsexuals, they might take hormones and undergo surgery in order to appear closer cosmetically to members of the opposite sex because that made them feel more comfortable and made them happier. Uh, but nobody thought that they'd really changed sex. Um, of course. No, of course, because, I mean, how could you change sex? You, you, can't, you can't do anything surgical or hormonal to turn a male person into a female person or vice versa. But strangely, in the last 30 years, and in the book I explain various of the strands that have led to this, and I think an important one is thinking in universities, in departments called things like queer theory or gender studies, the idea has come to be that sex, biological sex, isn't the sort of given that we thought it was. It isn't something like, you know, gravity or um, matter that's just there and, you know, you take it or leave it, it's still there. Instead, it's something that is socially constructed. Yes. So before that, people would have said that gender was socially constructed, and they didn't mean by gender a polite or a posh way of saying sex. They meant things like, oh, you know, women are meant to be submissive or to wear pink or to care more about children, some of which things can be statistically correct, but they don't define what it is to be a woman. It came to be in these places in universities and increasingly in sort of elite circles that those became the definitions, the meanings of man and woman, and sex was downgraded. And when I explain this to people, they think it's so crazy that it's actually difficult to explain yeah. it to them. They, they don't believe me when I say 
this is indeed what they're teaching in universities and what's being written into laws. It is the basis whereby there are male people competing in female sports and male rapists being put in women's prisons and children being put on really experimental drugs when they say that they wish they were members of the opposite sex. So this very simple seeming idea, which has a basis that would be rejected out of hand by anyone who hadn't been through certain university courses in the past 10 to 15 years, is now having very damaging real-world consequences. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's so important that we understand that these consequences, they're damaging our lives, our daily lives, not to mention children, what is doing to children. So it's true that the majority of children who ask for sex and gender reassignment are in gay children, so they, they would become naturally lesbian or gay if we let them you know, grow naturally. And they will be very happy with their own body, you know, in a, of course, in a society that accepts them, as it should be every society. But unfortunately, they put them on puberty blockers and then other, you know, sex cross hormones, and then they, they all become trans. So it used to be very rare for a child to be uh, taken at all seriously if the child said, you know, mum, I was meant to be a girl, or I feel like I'm really a girl. But the occasional child who said that it was almost all boys and one possible reason for that is that being gender non-conforming as a girl is more socially acceptable. Yeah. We even have a nice word for them, tomboys. We have a much less nice word for boys who are gender non-conforming. They're sissies. Yeah. And so sissy boys, inverted commas, I don't use this word myself, uh, were the object of study in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. And these were highly gender non-conforming boys who um, would say to their parents, you know, I was meant to be a girl, I really am a girl, I wish I was a girl. All their friends were girls, they played with girls' toys, they dressed as girls, you know, they would even talk about how they hated their male parts, they wanted them cut off and so on. But when these children were followed uh, into adulthood, it turned out they were nearly all gay. Now this does not mean that every gender non-conforming little boy is gay. Sure. There are lots of little boys who like dressing up and so on and, you know, they can go up straight as well. But statistically speaking, there is a link with being gay. Now, that was the historical picture. In the past 10 years, something quite different has happened, which is that teenage girls have become by far the largest group yes. who say that they were meant to be or really are members of the opposite sex. And lots of them aren't gay at all. Uh, lots of them really have just spent too much time on Tumblr. This is the effect of social media. Correct? Yes, yes, that's right. So it's, it's a place where odd things happen. Uh, I have said this a few times, I don't know where I heard it first, but somebody said that social media, in particular Tumblr, is like the island in the Lord of the Flies. It's a place where the children bring each other up with no adults around. And in those places, quite strange and sometimes very distressing things happen. So Tumblr around 2015 was really the high point of girls, teenage girls, really telling each other very odd things about what it would mean to feel like you didn't fit in, to feel like your body was, you know, not the way it was meant to be, to, you know, to wish and ardently wish that really you were a boy and maybe even a gay boy if you were a straight girl, to tell those girls that that meant that they were really boys and, and really to create a, a social contagion. And this sounds completely odd to adults, but I think only to adults who can't remember being teenagers. It's a strange and intense time, and it's also a time where you're programmed to believe your peers, your, co your age cohort, rather than adults, and to discount what adults say. And also to be quite idealistic, to have quite grand ideas, to think that you can reinvent yourself or that you can change everything, rather than you know, being a bit more prosaic and mundane and you know, 
just thinking, well, I would have liked that, but it's not possible, you know. And so those girls are being treated according to a protocol that was developed for a very different group, namely these young boys. Now, I don't think those young boys should have been treated this way anyway, but they were. And that protocol takes as gospel truth the statement, I am really a girl, I am really a boy, and, and assumes that something inner in that child that's unchangeable, that's been manifested in the statement, I think I'm trans, that's more real and concrete than the body that they were born in. It is incredible. And, and, but the thing is, if you believe it, it mandates quite extreme medical interventions. So those interventions, um, just to remind everybody, puberty is actually quite a big deal. Yeah. And puberty does quite a lot to our bodies that can't be undone, and in particular it does a lot to boys. I know it does a lot to us girls as well, but uh, if you take testosterone afterwards as a girl, you can pass as a man much mm. more easily than the other way around. Yes. Testosterone is like a one-way street. You know, your voice breaks and it can never unbreak. You, your beard comes in, you can never get rid of it without laser surgery. You know, a lot of things happen like your jaw widens, your shoulders widen, your feet and hands get bigger. These are things that are very, very hard to undo. So the idea was that these boys, these prepubescent boys who said, you know, I wish I was a girl, I really am a girl, I know I'm a girl inside, was why don't you halt puberty, give this time to resolve, and then when this child is old enough, you can give them cross-sex hormones. And they, those, those drugs are very misleadingly called puberty blockers. They do many other things as well, but they certainly halt puberty. They're experimental drugs. They use them for horses, correct? They use them for a lot of different things. They are used in humans and have been used for some decades in what's called um, uh, precocious puberty. So if a child goes through puberty exceptionally early, and I mean earlier than you know eight, like maybe yeah. as young as five, this has uh, major social and physical consequences and psychological consequences because you're going to have a very little child who's yeah. emotionally and physically you know, an adult, it's not right. So we have been using those drugs to delay puberty to bring it back into the right position for small numbers of children for some decades. That's quite different from halting a normal, healthy puberty. Of course. Uh, so that that um, that is an experiment that is underway now, uh, some in the, here in the UK, but also really in very large numbers in the US. Nobody's tracking it. It's being done probably in hundreds of centres around the US. Uh, some of the um, prescriptions are not even by medical um, doctors; they're by you know nurse practitioners and the like. Uh, sometimes there's not much evaluation beforehand. It's starting from the position that this child is really meant to be a member of the opposite sex and there's nothing to do but affirm it. Maybe, you know, so, so if you step back and you think, why might somebody say to you, I'm really a member of the opposite sex? Like, why might a 13-year-old or an 11-year-old say that? They might have been abused. Sexual abuse, yes. and then they hate their genitalia, yes. if it's evidence. Honestly, they might just really be finding puberty extremely difficult. It can be. Like many of us. Yes, <laughs> yes, especially a girl who goes through puberty early, you know, she starts to get leered at by men in the street, this very unpleasant, um, lots of girls who have eating disorders think testosterone is a cure-all. Yes. You know, they want to starve away their curves, and then it occurs to them that maybe testosterone would do that for them. Or um, autistic spectrum disorders. Uh, very commonly, people who are ASD have feelings of bodily dis-ease. You know, they don't feel right. They feel that they're different from everybody else. That feeling can kind of settle on their bodies. They're very black and white rigid thinkers, and if they are gender non-conforming and perhaps gay, as well as being ASD, they can interpret that as I'm really meant to be a member of the opposite sex. So that's just a few reasons. There could be other ones as well. Yeah. It could be a cry for attention from parents, for example. 
So all of those things would require caution and counselling and you know some thought before you believe this um, this statement of a cross-sex identity, especially when you remember that the history is that most small children who say this grow out of it, but instead we're just putting these children on this this pathway. And to just finish that story of this pathway, it starts with puberty blockers, but almost every child who goes on to puberty blockers later takes cross-sex hormones. So that means the male ones take oestrogen, which is the drug that turned us into adult women, and the female ones take testosterone, which is the one that turns boys into adult men. And those are irreversible changes. That's the point. Yeah. They're irreversible. So they're doctors that they're lying to children, telling them that they can just pause, you know, they can stop, you know, easily taking these hormones and then they will go back to normal. It's not true. They won't go back, you know, as they were before or maybe as, you know, a normal 16 years old life. Yeah, I think the two lies really, and I mean, maybe lie is a strong word, the two the two miscommunications, let us say, between the medical profession and these children. The first is that you can pause puberty. Human beings can't be put on pause, we're not machines. We can't just be put in a cupboard and taken out again two years later. Your peers are growing up. Things are happening to you and your body was meant to be maturing and your mind was meant to be maturing yeah, too. brain development. Yes, these, um, these sex hormones have large reorganising effects on the brain. So that's the first, um, shall we say, miscommunication. And the second one is, what parents and children are told is this, is this is something to give you time. This is reversible. You can just come off these things and pick up puberty where you left off. What they don't say is that almost everybody, and I mean 98 to 99% of everybody who goes on puberty blockers goes on to cross-sex hormones. So when you say yes to puberty blockers, you are saying yes to cross-sex hormones. Yeah. And those will leave these marks on your body that, uh, that going into adulthood in the other yeah. Uh, sex would leave on you. Yeah, I heard that uh, these girls they have a low bone density, as an example, because they, they don't have the normal, you know, development. So that's the puberty blockers, because girls, oestrogen is the thing that makes us put down, uh, uh, put down calcium in our bones. Um, so girls who don't have oestrogen at the point at which they should be putting down really, you know, a large part of the stock of calcium to last them through into old age, they're missing a crucial window. Now maybe when they then take testosterone they will put some of it back, but again that's totally unchecked, uh, no reason to, to think that that will happen, that it will happen for everybody. These things again, they're like an unregulated live experiment and it's an unregulated live experiment that's being done on children. It's incredible what's happening. I know that in Denmark they actually now uh, stopped giving puberty blockers to children because they, they understand it's very dangerous. So I think it's Sweden and Finland have both um, made quite major uh, moves in that direction. I think it's Sweden that now says that you can only prescribe puberty blockers as part of a, of a, of a proper trial because at least then you're getting something out of it. I mean, that's yeah. what should have happened in the 1990s when they started giving these things. The way that proper research is done, done in medicine, you would uh, randomly choose, say you had 12 kids or 15 kids in a, in a clinic that all wanted this drug, you'd give it to half of them and you'd choose those half randomly and then you would follow them. Yes. Nobody's done that. Nobody's following kids, even when they don't do that sort of experiment, they're still not following up. So I know quite a few what are called detransitioners these are people who went some way down the pathway to medical transition to try to look like members of the opposite sex and then regretted it and tried to turn back, but of course you can't turn everything back. Most of them never went back to tell their doctors. So their doctors have no idea that they did this harm to people. And the reason they don't go back to their doctors is A, it's just not going to help. It can't be undone. Yeah. Um, B, they regard these doctors as people who did them very grave harm. 
yes. and they don't want to see them again. Understandably. Yes, very understandably. So the medical profession is do the medical profession is prone to doing this, by the way. If you look back through the history of medicine, it's littered with overly ambitious and poorly based like enthusiasms for quite radical interventions that turn out not to help. I mean, lobotomies is an obvious one. Yeah, exactly. The inventor of the lobotomy won a Nobel Prize for it. For it. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. And, you know, they went around the place. I think about 50,000 people in America were given lobotomies and somebody won a Nobel Prize for it and, you know, it destroyed 50,000 lives. Unbelievable. And that was a, a medical scandal. And now I think this will be a medical scandal. Yes, I think we're living through a medical scandal and in some ways worse because it's children. Do you think uh, uh, our government here in the United Kingdom should make uh, puberty blockers illegal for children? So it's not how you normally do things in medicine. Normally governments and courts are extremely slow to intervene um, between a medical profession and a patient. That said on this, it really seems to me that the medical profession has shown itself incapable of properly regulating itself. I don't think these drugs should be used. And unfortunately, the only avenue for stopping them to be used really is to sue and suing after the fact is too late. It's like saying, you know, oh well, you know, if this if this slippery pavement is a problem, someone will break their neck and then they can sue. I'd rather fix the problem first, you know. Exactly. And the medical profession is not fixing it. I think we should save these children, you know, because also children they can change their mind, you know. We all so know children change their minds. Children's identities are still in flux and in formation. The idea that a teenager can tell you with great certainty, we don't even let children get tattoos. The reason we don't let children get tattoos is we know that most of them may regret it. Like loads of people regret getting tattoos, but if you're over 18, fine, I you do what you like. <laughs> I, I have none because I knew I'd regret. But yeah, so why you wouldn't let a child get a tattoo, but you'll let them take drugs that are going to lead to uh, permanent changes. Oh, and the other thing I should say about that pathway, this is the hardest thing to say. This shocks me because it is a true medical scandal. If you go in, if you skip your own puberty entirely, you will never be fertile. You will actually be sterile because we only become fertile during puberty. The um, ovaries and the testicles just don't don't mature. You don't produce sperm. Your eggs never can ripen. So if you go, never go through your own puberty because you blocked it, and then you take cross-sex hormones, you will be sterile. Not just infertile, sterile. There is nothing that can help you. You know, not IVF, not anything and you will probably be um, incapable of orgasm as well because during uh, puberty is when you become fully orgasmic. So what we are doing with children that we put on this pathway, if children start these drugs really at the beginning of puberty, so not even part way through puberty, we are creating sexless, sterile adults. And the reason that we are doing that is because they look better. Unbelievable. It's so, really unbelievable. I mean, the word, the word for somebody, um, it, it's a eunuch. We are creating eunuchs, and I can't believe that we're doing that, but we are. Exactly. That's why I think our politicians should start looking into this you know, ideology and stop the effect that this has on children. It's these words like puberty blockers. They sound so uh, so benign and so yeah. simple. Um, and, you know, also, if you, if you listen to somebody who believes in gender identity ideology, well... You know, this poor child, this child's a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body. Why would you not help? Yeah. But when you step back and you think, nobody can be trapped in the wrong body. I mean, I am my body. <laughs> my brain is part of my body. My yeah. mind is linked to my body. I might have a feeling that it's the wrong body. 
that doesn't mean that I immediately have to go cutting bits of myself off. Exactly. But the example is anorexia, right? If an anorexic girl, usually, you know, their girls goes to a, to a doctor, you know, the, the doctor doesn't tell her, oh, yes, I'm affirming you're anorexic, let me help you stop. Yeah, let's, let's give you liposuction. Yeah, it would never do that. Yeah. They try to save her, they try to let her love her body. And they understand so, that there may be things underlying her anorexia, something may lie behind it. And some of the same things, by the way, for example, sexual abuse or, you know, the, 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 the culture of porn out there. Like girls are taught that a girl, a female body, a teenage girl's body, an adult woman's body is a thing to be looked at, to be used. The porn on the internet has become so grotesque and most teenagers, even very young teenagers, have seen some of it. Yeah. Who could be surprised a girl doesn't want to grow up to be that? Especially a girl who's lesbian, because lesbian in porn categories is, is a particular porn category that's for men. So if you're a same-sex attracted girl, the idea of realising that you might be a lesbian is quite disgusting. So it's not surprising that those girls in particular might feel to themselves, no, that's definitely not me. That's not the sort of person I am. I must be the other sort of person, the boy person. I understand that completely. You know, we understand that. But I think that uh, you know, women like us, you know, feminists, uh, uh, we, we really care about trans people because we care about their health, right? So we really would like to help them. I really don't understand what is this hatred that comes from trans activists, you know? A lot of them aren't trans. Um, it's by no means all trans people, and a lot of them aren't trans. Trans people are like everybody else. They come from across the political spectrum. Some of them are straight and some are gay. They have a wide range of beliefs. To say that they all speak with one voice is actually to be transphobic, because it's to suggest that they are cartoonish figures that you can put into one, you know, in one category that you can then stereotype. Um, a lot of the trans activists, you'll notice, if you, the longer you are in this field, the longer you talk about this, a lot of trans activists are just ordinary men. And I have come to understand from writing this book and from travelling to events and speaking about it, that they are common or garden MRAs, men's rights activists. They're just misogynists. If you're a misogynist uh, nowadays, you're not allowed to call women witch or bitch or the C word you are allowed to call them a TERF, which stands for trans-exclusionary radical feminist and means somebody who thinks that sex matters and sometimes trumps gender identity. You are allowed to turn up to conferences and wave flags and say that they should uh, lose their jobs, be kicked out of political parties, be silenced, and get no representation in the media and so on. It must be lovely if you're that sort of man, mustn't it? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I think a lot of them, it's nothing to do with trans people actually, it's just the latest misogyny. I have a mug, it's my suffragette mug, the new suffragettes, and it says on it, as well as the, the colours, the suffragette colours, it says same shit, different century. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, 100%. I think now feminists who are resisting this, uh, you know, gender ideology, they're actually the new suffragettes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we are. And that's why we have to stay, you know, strong and firm. And you know what, I really love what you're doing. I love your book, first of all. And, uh, and I heard one of your interviews and you were saying, you know, we just have to win. And I yeah. just love that. Can you yeah. explain? So, I'm a great believer in debate and in respectful, really concentrated listening. You, you should understand people who disagree with you, as many different people as you can. There are times that there is no point. So if somebody is um, you know, holding a bomb over your child, you don't debate. If somebody is 
calling you all the vile names under the sun and trying to get you sacked. You don't debate. But actually, those people are a tiny, tiny minority. They're a very loud minority that have unfortunately captured some political parties, some media, you know, some institutions. But they are a tiny minority. Remember, most people know perfectly well that we come in two flavours. Most people know what men and women are. The majority are. of people. Oh, like 99%. And if yeah. you go globally, like it's you know nearly 100% yeah. of every person who's ever lived knows perfectly well that what I'm saying is true. Right. So what's the point in trying to negotiate with people who have such a crazy belief system and such a harmful belief system and who are so vicious and so um, aggressive I think you have to sideline them. The people we need to be talking to are the policymakers, the politicians, the people at the heads of big corporations, uh, obviously the medical profession, academics, anyone of goodwill. And that's nearly everybody. So we need to be talking around the crazy extremists. What's the point in talking to them? I'm not going to be able to persuade them. I'm not going to split the difference with them because what they want is simply undoable. I'm not going to say you can sterilise some of the children or you can sterilise the children once they reach 15, or you can put some rapists into women's jails, or you know, and none of these things. I'm not going to allow any of these things. So we need to talk around them and actually defeat them. That's what I was trying to say. Not that we shouldn't talk. I think talking's a great idea, and I'll happily talk to anybody. But I'm not going to enter into a negotiation with people who want things that we simply cannot allow. Of course. I agree 100%. So I think we have to fight back. And I'm very proud about uh, you know English feminists because they call us uh, the Turk Island now. Yeah. Well, neither of us, of course, is English, but we can yeah. pretend that uh, we, yeah. we we can we can bask in the reflected glory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so tell me, Helen, um, what do you think about uh, what is happening when trans activists tell everyone that they should believe that trans women are women? Well, we all know that actually trans women are trans women, or may maybe as some scientific, you know, um, experts say, you know, they are transsexual male. What do you think about this mantra? Well, why does anyone believe it is the first question when it's just really very obviously false. Um, we all know that you can't change sex. We all know that a man who says he's a woman doesn't thereby become one. But I think that people, they want to be nice, they want to be kind. Also, there's that strange bit where somebody says something to you that you're absolutely certain is false, and like so false that you're amazed that somebody even says it. So you think, oh God, I must have missed something. Like, I remember the first time somebody said to me, no, people really can change sex, and you know, a male person can be a lesbian. Like if you're a lesbian, the people that you're attracted to are you know women and that includes trans women and I mean there are trans women who don't look anything like women like there's yeah. no there's no obligation to have surgery or anything like that mm -hmm. so it can be a bearded bloke in a skirt yes so this person is meant to be part of the dating pool of a lesbian and that was the bit where I was completely blown away I just like oh my god you believe something absolutely extraordinary but I didn't say anything straight away because I kept thinking I'm missing something so I think in this complex world when there's so much going on and all of us you know, have so many other things on our mind. It's very easy to think, I've missed something. Like, I didn't get the memo. I, I better be quiet because I don't want to make a fool of myself. And from their point of view, from the point of view of the true believer, the statement trans women are women functions as what's called a thought terminating cliche. So this expression was invented by a chap called Robert J. Lifton, who wrote about um, thought reform and totalism in communist China.
So he was looking at the way that a totalitarian regime can change the whole of a society to be very much the opposite of what it had been originally. And it's, you know, yes, it matters that you starve people, beat people, kick people out of their jobs, put them in prison, all of those things. But actually, the big policeman in a totalitarian regime is this one, the one inside your head. So they have to install policemen in your head. And the important thing is that when, is that somebody's thoughts aren't free. When their thoughts wander in a dangerous direction, something has to stop those thoughts from continuing down that way. The bit where you think to yourself, who put them in charge? Or, um, you know what, it all seemed to be a lot better before we, you know, before the great leap forward. You mustn't think those thoughts. So a thought terminating cliche is a sort of a brief, plausible sounding reductive phrase that pops up when your thoughts wander off in a dangerous direction so trans women are women is that it's a thought terminating cliche and I'll give you two examples so I was recently at an event where I did my introduction and I explained that we are sterilizing right now in this country we are sterilizing children and the first person who asked me a question said trans women are women and told me why I was a bigot and I didn't deserve to have my book published and many other things like that. And I just thought, I said they're sterilizing children and you said trans women are women. Those two things are not connected. Like, if somebody says to you they're sterilizing children, you really have to say, holy cow, they're doing what? I, maybe I don't believe you, but I better find out more. Or, oh my God, that's a human rights abuse or something. But if you go down that path, you're going to reach a point of danger. Yes. And so trans women or women shut this man off. And the second uh, example I would just give is that it's so plausible sounding that it's very useful when you're writing or speaking about this to people who know nothing about it. So you say something like, um, somebody says, you know, is it fair that we have male people competing in female sports? And somebody listens and thinks, oh God, that doesn't actually sound fair because male people are much stronger than female people, aren't they? Or you say, is it fair that we're allowing uh, male prisoners who might be rapists and murderers to say that they want to be held in female jails? And someone listening thinks, gosh, that doesn't sound right, does it? I mean, rapists in women's jails, that sounds like a bad joke. And then somebody says, yes, but trans women are women. And now there's no argument because, yes, you know, if trans women are women, then they belong in women's prisons and they belong in women's sports and they belong everywhere else that women belong. And you haven't had to do the analysis. You haven't had to say... Yes, men are stronger than women, male people are stronger than female people, or, you know, male people commit nearly all the crimes, including nearly all the sexual crimes. You, you, you don't have to do any analysis, you just say, trans women are women, therefore argument over. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing this, because it's very important to understand. It's like they want to brainwash people, right? It does feel like brainwashing, doesn't it? I don't think that they think of it that way. I don't think that we should think of people as mostly ill-intentioned or stupid or any of those things I think it's important there certainly is this malicious group of what I call men's rights activists within the movement the people who just are really very much enjoying saying horrible things about women and putting women back in their box but mostly people want to be kind mostly people want to be good people and the reason that they believe this sort of thing is they, they believe it's a good thing to believe they believe that it's the next civil rights movement they think to themselves there's a, a, an arc of history yes. and history went through you know women gained suffrage and you know maybe you know, so go back a bit further we ended slavery women gained suffrage you know we ended the Jim Crow laws we introduced gay marriage and now trans rights 
And that does sound very plausible until you stop and look at the details, because all those former civil rights movements involved extending to a marginalised group the benefits that were hoarded by the powerful group. Yes. You know, men had the vote, not women. Men were in charge, not women. So, and the same, you know, white people had power in America, not black people, and so on. What's the marginalised group here? I'm really not very clear. Like, male people aren't marginalised. And women's toilets aren't where we plot to keep them down either. Yeah. So allowing male people into women's toilets is not like allowing black people to drink from the whites-only fountain. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like it is. And Make as I try. say, this is a busy world. People are very busy. People have too much on their minds. There's this narrative of progress. People want to be kind. They take their beliefs from their tribe. And so you just go, oh, yes, trans rights without stopping and thinking, huh, trans rights is sterilising kids and putting rapists in women's jails. Doesn't sound like rights to me. Absolutely not. Absolutely. It's, like, it's more like a privilege. They want to have privileges and they want also to erode women's rights because that's the outcome, right? Because if they invade women's force, if they invade the same sex, you know, places like prisons or hospitals... It is dangerous. women who suffer, yes. Yeah. Yes, I don't think they set out to harm other people. I think that there's been a very false narrative sold that if you don't want to allow people to identify themselves as the sex they choose, then you must hate trans people and want them to die. So I don't crazy. want either of those things. Yeah, exactly. I don't want male people in female-only spaces. I also want trans-identified people to be able to live happy, productive, safe, self-actualised lives. The question is how do you do both of those things together? Absolutely. But the activists want you to take their version, which is that it has to be gender self-identification, that people are who they say they are, that if a male person says he's female, he is female. And I want, like, no, 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 he's not female, he is still male, but he's in a vulnerable category of male. He's in a specific yeah. category of male that needs special consideration. But what drives me crazy is that uh, all these people, they want to be kind and compassionate, but they're not really kind and compassionate towards women. Because when you tell about, you know, women in prison... We're not, we're not fashionable. We yeah. well, nobody, I, I, I did not know this before I wrote the book. There were several times when I was researching my book when I thought, this is the one that's going to make everybody sit up and take notice. I really thought that when I said to people they're putting rapists in women's jails, that they would go, oh my God, no, that can't be. In mathematics, which is the subject that I studied at university, there's a type of proof called the reductio ad absurdum, which means reducing to an absurdity. Yeah. And it's a proof that goes like this. You, you don't know whether something is true, so you assume it's true. And then you do a series of logical deductions and you end up at a ridiculous end point. And then you can work your way back and say, oh, the place I started is wrong. Yes. So if you start from the position that trans women are women, then of course you would put rapists who say that they're trans women in women's prisons. I think that's ridiculous. So I have to work back to saying trans women aren't women. Exactly. So that, that I thought that other people would do the same thing. I thought that they would go, oh no, you, you know, really no, we don't have mass rapists among women. We actually just don't. That's men. Yeah. It's men who do mass rapes. So you know, if we're going to put somebody who's a mass rapist in women's prisons, I thought that was a reductio ad absurdum. But I discovered that most people just don't actually give a toss about prisoners yeah. at all. They don't care what happens in prison. They just think, well, they're bad people. Who cares? Yeah. And then I thought the same thing would happen when I said they're sterilizing kids. But if you bought the idea that somebody can be a man inside or a woman inside, or that a boy can tell you that he was really a girl, well, then it all makes sense. Of course you're going to do these medical interventions. To me, again, it's a reductio ad absurdum. We don't mm. sterilise children. So you have to work back to say your starting point is the wrong one. 
but people don't seem to want to do that. But you're a rational person. Unfortunately, many people are not rational. Nobody's, nobody's entirely rational. Nobody yeah. at all, including me. So I shouldn't find it surprising that people aren't rational on this. The question is why people aren't rational on this. I think fashion is a big part of it. This is the currently trendy thing yes, to believe. it's trendy to be trans, right? It's trendy to also be into trans rights. It's the latest thing to say. It's the, it's the progressive cause of the moment. And also, if you aren't, if you don't go along with this, the punishments are quite considerable. So people always focus on the people who lose their jobs, like Maya Forstatter or Kathleen Stock having to resign after being threatened on campus. This, this philosophy yeah. professor, who, professor who resigned from Sussex University recently. And Maya really just tweeted some stuff about how she didn't think it should be easy to change sex legally and she was genuinely uh, let go from her employer. She's going to employment tribunal at the moment. So people look at those, but they forget that's not actually the big cost. The big cost is feeling like a bad person and feeling like you've been cast out of your tribe. So if you're the sort of person who you know, care, you know, know, really campaigned for gay marriage or cared a lot about it, the person who cares a great deal about racial justice, if you're somebody who doesn't like the idea that poor people have much worse life chances in this country than rich people and so on, you're in a tribe. And this was always my tribe. And then along comes this thing and suddenly you realise that you're not in your tribe anymore, that everybody that you agreed with no longer agrees with you. And by the way, they don't just disagree with you. They think you're such a bad person that they don't want to speak to you. They send you letters saying they're disappointed in you, they cut you off. They, you know, even family members cut people off you know, and so on. Yeah. Those, we, we are tribal creatures. Yes. You know, we, we, we evolved to find being cast out of our tribe about the most painful thing that could happen. People will believe absolute obvious absurdities rather than be cast out of their tribe. And right now, you must say trans women are women, no debate, if you wish to be in the tribe of good, progressive, in the American sense, liberal people. Yeah, but in my opinion, they're in the tribe of cowards. <sighs> Who's brave about everything? Is it brave? You know, how, how brave? Try. Yes, I agree. And of course, you know, we both have. Um, would it be would it be okay if you were the sole breadwinner you knew your boss was big into this stuff and you saw that maya had lost her job what if you know a trans person and they're really really nice and you hate the idea of being nasty to them and you suspect that if you start to think hard about this you're going to have to say something that would be deeply unpopular. It's easier not to think about it. I know it's difficult. I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's very difficult, but in my opinion, you know, we all have a, a bigger purpose in life, right? And we should all aim to the truth and, uh, and I'm just stick with reality, stick with our values, right? And we have to fight for them. I agree, but I'm a political pragmatist. So, I mean, I'll share with you why I decided to write the book. So. Yeah. I mean, as you, as you said at the beginning in the introduction, I'm a staff journalist at The Economist, and this was not what I was writing about. I was the finance editor at the time that I got really interested in this topic. I just stumbled on it. And I started writing about it, not in The Economist, in other publications, um, as a freelancer. I went to an event um, with detransitioners at it in, I think, I think 2019, in Manchester. And I was really shocked to meet very young, like between 18 and 23, women who had been through this really difficult, this, this, this medical process and had come out the other side and they were extremely damaged. And I decided that I really had to write the book because you know, th there's a moment of moral clarity when you realise that they are sterilising gay kids. 
and I decided that um, the purpose of the book, the way I summed it up to myself was, they are sterilising kids, mostly gay kids, and I can't stop them. But there's going to be some number of kids who are going to be sterilised. I can minimise that number. So whatever I can do to minimise that number, I'm going to do it. And that makes me think pragmatically about the goal that I'm trying to achieve. I'm not trying to be proved right. I'm not trying to make anyone feel like a fool. I'm not trying to enter into sort of a ding-dong with someone. I'm focused on minimise the number of children that they sterilise. And that is about winning people over. It's not about telling them that they're wrong. It's not about telling them that they're cowards. Um, it's not about telling people to put themselves in danger. It's just about thinking, how do we get where we need to be? And that's mostly actually about policymakers. Yes. So I'm, I'm not really very interested in saying whether people should do, should speak out, should speak out in their own name, are cowards if they don't. Those things are by the by. There's a policy goal that I'm interested in, and what I'm interested in is what brings us to that policy goal. And it's a lot going on right now. Yes. I know that the government wants to pass a law, uh, you know, trying to stop the conversion therapy, as they call it. But what is really conversion therapy? <laughs> so that's a, it's such a good example. And um, we know often politics is won and lost in who gets to name something. Yeah. Like you see this in America's abortion wars. You know, you've got one side saying right to life and the other side saying right to choose. And the fight ends up being linguistic. Like whoever wins definitively, I mean, neither is going to win definitively in America, but you know, in most places, it's a woman's right to choose and that has won. Yes. And so here we have this brilliantly named conversion therapy bill. So conversion therapy originally referred to uh, like useless and also very cruel attempts to change people's sexual orientation. So the idea was that you could straighten up a gay person, usually men, by, for example, I mean, how anyone could have thought this would work, but anyway, they did, like making this man watch straight pornography and gay pornography, and with the straight pornography it would be nice, and with the gay pornography you'd give him electric shocks, okay. like this sort of thing. So it didn't work, but it, 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 at all, it didn't, you, you, don't, you can't change people's sexual orientation, you know, you really just, that just does not work. But also it's very cruel and of course it makes the person feel like they're a very bad person and there's something wrong with them so it causes a whole load of other problems. Now that hasn't been done in this country in medical settings for a long time. To the extent that it happens, it happens in fringe church settings where they for example try to cast out devils. You know if somebody's gay or if they think a child might be gay they might have some one of these weird exorcisms. That's pretty much out of the reach of a new law because it's not being done in formal settings anyway. I mean and it's already prosecutable. So passing a bill to ban it is really a symbolic gesture. But inside that bill is, it's not just an attempt to change someone's sexual orientation, it's to change their sexual orientation and ge or gender identity. That's where yes. the problem stands. So this is a Trojan horse. Yes. Uh, because people's gender identity is very unlike their sexual orientation, it's not fixed. Like I said to you that most kids who think that they were meant to be or that they really are members of the opposite sex, they grow out of it during puberty. Like really most, like more than 80%, maybe 90% change their minds. So if that's the case, it's very unlike sexual orientation, very, very unlike sexual orientation. And what you need is time. You need people to have counselling, support. You know, maybe in the end, some people will want to go through this sort of plastic surgery to make them feel better, but only a tiny minority will. The real conversion therapy actually 
would be straight away treating them like that statement is true. Because then what you've got is usually a gay person, a gay kid, if you're talking about children, who says, I was meant to be a member of the opposite sex. You then put them on the path to presenting as if they're members of the opposite sex, and now they're straight. Abracadabra, we've vanished the gay person. Some people call it transing away the gay, uh, by analogy with what used to be said, um, which is praying away the gay like the conversion therapy that was done in these evangelical churches, you would pray away the gay. Yes. And now in clinics, we're transing away the gay. So this is the real... So that's the real conversion therapy. But unfortunately, you see, I tried to explain that really clearly, and it took me, what, three minutes, five minutes? I wasn't yeah. timing myself. Politicians have moved on. They want the gesture. They're just going like, oh, this sounds good. There's a very big conference in about six months' time, a big international um, gay rights conference. The government wants a nice announcement for it. So it's trying to railroad through this conversion therapy bill before that to look good. And it isn't very interested in the details. They're having a shorter than usual consultation in order to get it done in time. And they're not very open to people saying, hang on, can we think about this a bit? Have you looked at the way that sexual orientation and gender identity are very different? Did they call you to the consultation? Anyone can answer, but of course not, no. I think they should definitely listen to you, Helen, because you know much more than them. And I really hope our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, will, will hear your voice. I'm there any time. <laughs> Give me a call, Boris. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we watch our episode. Now, it's very dangerous what is happening. And um, it's very important also to let people know uh, which is the group that in the United Kingdom is pushing towards this uh, law and, uh, and pushed a lot of other government institutions towards you know, this uh, ideology. Yeah, so the main organisation that's been very influential in, within government is Stonewall. So Stonewall was set up in, I think, early 1980s. It's named after this big riot in America that was the start of the modern uh, gay rights movement. I don't know why there wasn't something here they could have called it after, but anyway. And it was set up to campaign against Section 28, which was this law that said that you couldn't promote pretended family relationships in school. What it meant was that you weren't meant to talk about the possibility that somebody was gay in schools and what that meant was that teachers couldn't tackle homophobic bullying and so Stonewall was very effective in that very very effective campaign group and it stayed and it grew and it became institutionalized and of course its glory moment was in 2013 when we legalized same-sex marriage which they had not campaigned for until extremely recently they were among the gay groups that did not campaign for gay oh, rights. That's interesting. Yeah they some gay people aren't interested in marriage they say that it's a heterosexual yeah. Uh, relationship why would gay people want to be copying that and other gay people are like well yeah but you know some of us are going to want it so why shouldn't yeah. we have it if we want it but anyway Stonewall was really late to the, the, the same-sex marriage party that got passed in 2013 Stonewall needed a new cause by now it's a big rich institutionalized um, charity with some well-paid people uh, you know very very strong ear in government and they then decided to move on to gay right to trans rights they needed a new cause. Donations were drying up, by the way. Like one, you know, gay men donated for gay marriage. Yeah. And once gay marriage was passed, like what's the point in donating? Stonewall was going to dwindle into just being, you know, about stopping homophobia in local sports or something. So now they've got their new cause and it's like they talk about nothing else. And they don't listen to people who say there's a contradiction between what you call trans rights which means the right of anybody to say they're really a member of the opposite sex, which I don't think is a right at all, by the way, um, and, and actually protecting people who are same-sex attracted. Because how can you protect same-sex attraction if there's no such thing as sex? 
again, is absurd. It's absurd. I mean, for you declare yourself to be a man, do you become a member of my dating pool? I mean, I'm a heterosexual woman. Yeah. Like, you know, and if I say no, am I transphobic? No, you're you just know? a saint. <laughs> or if you say that you're a man and I say, well, I don't find you attractive, does that mean, like, and not just that I don't find you attractive, but I don't regard you as a member of my dating pool, even theoretically, does that suddenly mean I'm not heterosexual? Like, the whole thing is just madness. It's madness. It's, right. it's upside down. We've gone into the upside down or we've fallen down the rabbit hole or someone of these metaphors you know I still I still find myself feeling like I, I've gone through some I've taken some wrong turning and I'm now in some parallel universe where nothing makes sense anymore and I've been thinking about this for three years now yeah I understand you completely yeah. that's why I'm happy I found you know other women who think you know oh my god like yes on Twitter <laughs> yes oh my god the sanity the feeling yeah. the feeling that's one of the reasons I wrote the book actually was so that people could feel you know great someone's put it all down in one place I'm not the only one I'm not mad you know, it's it's this ideology that's crazy, not me. Exactly, one hundred percent. And also, this gender ideology is going against gay people. And in fact, the LGB alliance they understood that very clearly when they decided to found, you know, yep. the alliance and really uh, promote the same sex attracted, you know, people's right because. You know, trans uh, activists, they're doing the opposite. They're going against them. And isn't it funny that they're called a hate group? I mean, there are plenty of trans-only groups, but if you try to have a gay-only group, like not an LGBT group, just an LGB group, suddenly you're hateful. I, I mean, I guess it's because the ideology, it's not just that it's extreme. The ideology, it's not just that it's extreme, it's that it's what's called totalizing. So a totalizing doctrine is one that can admit of no exceptions and that reaches out into everything. So if you say there, you know, there isn't this underlying thing called biological sex that is immutable, but what there is is there's gender identity and people can declare it, and what makes somebody a man or a woman is what they say. That sounds like a small thing or a simple thing, and most people imagine immediately a transsexual person who's really taken hormones, had surgery, is doing their best to look like a member of the opposite sex. They know that's a tiny number of people, so they think you're talking about a tiny few exceptions. Yeah. But actually it's a statement about everybody. It's a statement that what makes me a woman isn't just that I am a woman, like I was conceived female and I grew up, I didn't die. That's what I think made me a woman. They think that what makes me a woman is that I declare myself to be a woman. And that means that I've got to buy into being a woman. Like, so what's that? I buy into being an airhead and not liking maths and not, not being ambitious. I don't know what it means, you know? I still don't know what it means to act like a woman or to feel like a woman. I just am a woman. Yeah. So it's a totalizing doctrine, and that means that you can't brook any dissent. You can't say, you know what, we disagree, let's split the difference, or you do you and I'll do me. No. Everybody has to play along. And I'll say one more thing about why, why it's so totalitarian. It is, the, it is a fact that you can't change sex. So the only way that you can make it feel like you, change, you can change sex is by making everybody else say you can. So if I were to say that I am really a man, now you can see I'm not a man, I must stop you from saying it. Yeah. I must force you to say, yes, you're a man, to use he, him pronouns for me, whatever, uh, change my name pretend that you know if you desired me it would be because you're heterosexual <laughs> you know I don't know what it goes out into everything you know and I, I can't brook any dissent I have to make you do it so that means that anybody who says anything different they can't just be another charity who have a different charitable aim they have to be silenced they are bigots they are 
you know, they, they are very bad, bad people who must be cast out of polite society. And yeah, and that's why this disproportionate rage. It's horrible. Honestly, what they're doing is horrible. Yeah. Because they want to deny freedom of speech that is at the basis of our democracy. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's intolerable. Yeah, I always thought mm-hmm. that I, I always thought I cared a lot about free speech, and I did. But my God, I really care about free speech now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very difficult to get the book published, and you know, I've no right to have my book published. That's fine. I understand publishers do not have to publish my book. Nobody has to represent me. The fact is, there was a big market for it. It's done very well. So you know, to have gone through the great difficulties that I had, being rejected by nearly every publisher, being dropped by my agent, you know, no, no um, audiobook company would record it for me. I had to record it at home. My son did it for me. Uh, we couldn't get sell the rights in America, and it wasn't that American publishers weren't interested. They said they were very interested, but they didn't want their staff to walk out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so now, now that I've had the experience of people really seriously trying to silence me. I care a lot more about free speech than I did. And you know, sometimes people then they say, but you haven't been silenced. Look at you, you're sitting here, you're talking to Paolo, you're on this podcast, you've been on loads of podcasts, you've got your book published. This is so annoying. I mean, just because I managed through great persistence to push my way through really serious attempts to get me fired, to get me silenced, to drop my book contract, to tell anyone who said anything about my book that they were bigots, etc., etc., and I managed to push through that. Suddenly it's like it didn't happen. But I think it's important to remember what free speech is for. Free speech isn't just because I want to speak. Free speech is because it gets us to the truth. That's why. That's why we want free speech. Human beings all make mistakes. We all make many mistakes. And to get to a truer understanding of the world, you require a very liberal idea to who's allowed to speak and what they say. So at the moment, the people who are, I keep coming back to sterilizing children, but let's take that example, the people who are doing that and the people who are allowing it, the parents who are going along with it, the politicians who are preparing to vote for this conversion therapy bill, they're doing so because they've only heard one narrative. And so the point of free speech is to get other voices out there so that we can stop doing the wrong thing and we can start doing the right thing. That's the purpose. And that's why I keep shouting. Well done, Helen. (laughs) Honestly, I think you're a true game changer and a true fighter. So please keep fighting for all of us, especially for women, you know, because I get mad when I see other women going against our own sex. You know, they, 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 they just forget about women's rights. Because maybe they're young, they don't know about history, they don't know, you know, what we went through through the centuries. How is that that they think our rights, you know, they Isn't can't that be interesting? given away? It's interesting because actually the people who are the most fervent uh, believers in this version of trans rights, I, I hate even the expression trans rights. You know, it's not a right to force everyone else to say you are the sex that you are not. Trans privilege. I w- I, I'll just say um, gender identity ideology. It, it's young women. It's young women who are pushing this. So why? Because they're the people who have the most to lose. So I think one reason is that women more than men are punished when they step out of line. So men who say the things that I say do not tend to get the same vitriol. it's very noticeable. I know, there is not a, a word like turf for men. No, exactly. There's no word like turf for men. But also, if you look at the journalists, James Kirkup, who's an excellent journalist, who's written a lot about this, who wrote about it very early and very well and often for The Spectator, 
you know, he, he said to me, you know, I don't get the same grief. I don't get called the nasty names. I don't get attacks. Nobody sends me things like, you know, suck my dick and, you know, choke and, you know, I'll rape you with a rusty baseball bat with studded with nails, like this sort of stuff. Like, that's said to women. So women are punished much more if they step out of line. I mean, there's the question of whether women are socialised to be kinder. I mean, yes. I'm a bit suspicious sometimes of these socialised type arguments, but there's something to it. I think there's also a strong desire of young women not to be associated with older women. Um, but I this, think this comes from ages. Right? Yes, yes, but ageism mostly affects women. Yes, you know, men become wiser and you know more powerful, and women just become dried up bitches. <laughs> you know, I have a T-shirt I'm very fond of that says, "This witch doesn't burn." I want to say, please. <laughs> you can buy them online. Just search for it. T-shirt, this witch doesn't burn. It says it all, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, a young woman doesn't like to look at a woman who's post-menopausal and think, That's, that will be me in 30 years' time, I'll be that person who, you know, no men are interested, people talk over her, she's the most disposable sort of person in, in, the, in our society, our ageist, sexist, lookist society. She wants to pretend she'll always be young and beautiful and that men will continue to speak to her with the same interest and respect that they do now. So young women really don't like to ally themselves with older women. No, not all young women. I've had some young women write to me and say it's lovely to have a role model. Of course, not all of them. Of yeah, course. but lots of young women specifically don't want to. I mean, you see this in, in the phrases like, you know, okay, okay, Karen. Like, you know, I get called a Karen. Um, or, you know, they say, oh, won't someone think of the children? Like, which is this cliche that's from The Simpsons. You know, a woman who, who says she's concerned about children's safety. These are women who are, like, like women like me, who are sidelined in our culture, and I don't think young women want to be seen as, as part of, of them. And then there's this thing as well, who wants to focus on women's vulnerabilities? Like, who wants to say, look, we're the ones who get raped? Yes. Not, um, or, look, we're physically weaker. Like, it's more fun to pretend that women are as strong as men. Exactly, yeah. So I, so I think there's a lot of separate reasons, but they all add up to the fact that there's a lot of young women who really act against their own interests in this. Absolutely, because it's not denying reality that you cancel the fact that we are actually raped, you know, yeah. that we're actually abused, we are discriminated. Yeah, I mean, you know, denial is a hell of a drug. Yes, I think it's all about denial, you're yeah. right. Yeah, it's a social contagion of denialism, maybe. Yeah. Also, yeah. It's very, it's, it's incredible if you think about it, but that's why we have to keep talking about this. And Helen, I mean, what is the story that many people believe in that uh, only if a man thinks that he's a woman becomes good immediately, is not violent anymore, and women, they don't have to be scared about him? Where it, it comes from? It's strange, isn't it? It seems so naive. It is naive. I, I mean, even, even if you believe, even if you believe in gender identity ideology, even if you think that there are male people who are in some sense truly female, surely you'd think that the predators would regard this as a wonderful loophole. But to say that is again regarded as transphobic, I think people maybe haven't thought through what we're doing when we say nearly all rapists are men or most violent crimes are committed by men. Those things are true. Yes. I think they think that we're saying all men are rapists or all men are violent. No, it's a small minority. It's just that it's really only, nearly only men. So you know, to give you figures from this country, about 88,000 male prisoners in England and Wales and about 4,000 female. And the males, it's about 20% violent crimes. The females, it's about 4%. Mm -hmm. 
So these are enormous differences. And actually on the victim side as well, um, men, are, men are more commonly victims of violence because most violence that men commit, commit is against men. But the sexual crimes are nearly all against women. So women are victims of nearly all the sexual crimes, but perpetrators of hardly any of them. That's basically why we have single-sex spaces. And that's why women are well advised to be cautious of males, men, especially ones they don't know. But I mean, just in general, you know, lots of rape is, of course, committed by people that you know. Yeah, so you don't go into, you know, certain situations with men, not because you think, well, men are rapists, but because... You'd be a bit mad to. And yet, if that man says that he's a woman, well, suddenly we're meant to treat him as if he's a woman. It's back to trans women are women, isn't it? Yes. So I, I, think, I think it's because whenever you say, uh, you know, well, trans women are male and therefore, you know, they fall into the category of people who commit most violent crime and most sexual crime, they think that you're saying, oh, trans women are all perverts, they're all rapists. I'm just not saying that. I'm saying a different logical proposition. It's extremely irritating. And then the other thing I think it's worth pointing out is there's a strange thing that can happen with, with men who identify as women, which is if you're, if you're a decent man, you're aware that you're louder, you're bigger, you know, you've been socialised to take up more space, women apologise more, they allow themselves to be interrupted more, etc, etc. So a decent man understands this and he isn't going to go rampaging around the place, shouting women down and so on. But if he identifies as a woman, suddenly he's now got a free pass. And so some of the trans women that you see who are most aggressive and loud about this, not all trans women, can I say that please? I'll say it again for the people at the back. Hashtag not all trans women. It's like they think that by declaring themselves to be women, they now have a free pass to behave how the hell they like because they couldn't possibly be being masculine or toxically masculine. So they mansplain, they shout beat women down, they're massively condescending, they say absolutely absurd things, you know. You're like, wow, you didn't do that when you were identifying as a man. Yeah. You're much worse now. It's extraordinary. I never see sex as clearly as I do when I'm looking at people who don't identify as their sex. You're right. Exactly. Sex matters. You know? Oh my God, yes. That's yes. the point. Reality yeah. matters. You know, yeah. if we think that all you know delusional people, you know, are right. If we think that women they should be kind with anyone, you know, we are we are wired to protect ourselves. We are wired to understand who is a predator, who is a male. You know, this is or normal. to be cautious at least. Yeah. This is a natural instinct. So I'm very, you know, sad for all these girls who are, are now believe, you know, that they have to be fine with whatever male they see into a locker room, you know, a bathroom or whatever, you know, and eventually they will be victim of rape. And eventually they, they, no one will cope that. And even if they aren't victims of rape, that, you know, it's not nice to be forced into intimate situations with male people when you don't choose to be, even if it doesn't progress to rape. I always find this irritating when people act like the only harm that could happen from allowing male people into female spaces is rape. Like yeah. they say to you, you know, oh well, you know, what harms do you know? And they mean how many women have been raped. Yeah. A, for me, the acceptable number of extra women raped is zero. 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 Yeah. But the second one is there are many harms that fall short of rape. Most sex crimes are actually voyeurism or exhibitionism. They're the common, they're the mass sex crimes. Obviously, some men who likes looking at women in the undress are going to identify as trans women to go into changing rooms. They're not idiots. They're perverts, but they're not idiots. 
And the same with men who very much like flashing women. Obviously, they're going to identify. I mean, how stupid do you think people are if you think that's not going to happen? Absolutely. And women will have no way to describe these things as crimes because in a changing room, of course you're going to get naked. Of course other people are naked. So it's just like it's just like free pass for perverts. And this is not me saying trans women are perverts. Mm. It's saying it's a loophole that perverts will use. I'm tired of explaining this, you know, it seems I very know. obvious. And yet people think that what I'm saying, that they misquote me in bad faith as saying, you know, trans women are perverts. No, no but save me from the bad faith, yeah. please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving you. No, honestly, you don't have to care about people in that way. Because, you know, who cares? Honestly, you should have to laugh. I, tr that. I do, I do. Laugh. I try to laugh. But it's very tiresome being deliberately and, you know, maliciously misinterpreted. And also I want to add on to this because I think this is a free pass for pedophiles as well. Yeah. I'm reading a lot online about now a movement of people who call them, you know, minor mon attracted persons, maps. What the hell is this? And we should be compassionate with them. I'm not compassionate with pedophiles. I'm so sorry. Mm. I mean, what yeah, the hell I, I, is I, I'm on? cautious about this. I, I, I think that in a situation where everything is blurred, the fact is, we, we have historical examples, paedophiles do muscle in. Yeah. But also I think it's important to remember, and this is maybe too big a topic for this, this is a you know, big bomb to drop towards the end of a podcast, um, most sex crimes against children are not committed by paedophiles. I know that sounds like a, a contradiction in terms, but a paedophile is somebody who specifically is sexually attracted to prepubescent children. Most sex crimes against children are just committed by op opportunists. They'd have, they'd have raped a woman if they could but you know, they don't care that the child is 13 or 14. She's sexually mature, but Terrible. she's a child. So I think that the question of child protection is a bigger one. It does definitely include this normalization of overturning all boundaries and so on. And I am worried about the child protection aspects of this ideology, because it's an ideology that tells children to not believe their own eyes. Yes. It's an ideology that makes it easy for adults to lie to children and for male people to say that they're female people and to identify themselves into spaces where young people are. I think there's a lot of complicated reasons why this is very bad for child uh, safeguarding, but it's not precisely about paedophilia. I think that's a separate issue. I understand. So can we uh, wrap up all this, you know, <laughs> incredible you Pretty know, words. topic? <laughs> And maybe a little bit more, and touch one second, few points. So the point of gender stereotypes, why for feminists these are very toxic, and why we believe that, you know, if a girl wants to dress up like, a, you know, uh, in a masculine way, or like a boy, she's not a boy, she's just a girl, and it's good if we break down all these gender stereotypes. So if I were to ask people to think about one thing and to take it away with them, I would ask them to think like, which do you think is more progressive and in general better for human beings that a man is a male person who acts any way he feels, dresses any way he feels, it chooses for himself how he wishes to present himself in the world and a woman likewise, or that a man and a woman are people who fit into pink and blue boxes of stereotypes and it doesn't matter what bodies they have. For me, a man or a woman is somebody with a male or a female body who acts how they damn well please, not someone who acts in a masculine or feminine manner and their body is not important. To me, allowing people to act anyway, whether that breaks stereotypes or not, is the progressive situation. Okay. And the other is unbelievably retrogressive. It teaches children that 
the performance of stereotypes is what makes you a boy or a girl or a man or a woman. It's unbelievable to me that we're teaching children this under the guise of being progressive and kind. Unbelievable. I agree with you 100%. So what we would tell children, dress as you please and love your body, correct? Yeah, yeah. and if you don't, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's see what's going on here. You're perfect and beautiful the way you are. We understand that maybe you don't feel that. Why don't you feel it? You know, who's the you behind all of this? And if when you're grown up there are things that you want to do, those things aren't impossible. But let's wait. You're a child. I heard a case in America of a mother, she kind of saved her daughter from, you know, the problems of like gender ideology, gender dysphoria, because she took her iPhone away and she sent her for one year in a horse farm yes. with no internet. Yes, I mean, you're, you're, it's hard to believe this sort of stuff when you're in touch with nature. I mean, yeah. horses don't have gender identities. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so what do you will tell our Prime Minister Boris Johnson? People are trying to pull the wool over your eyes. They're telling you that something is going to play well that's going to play extremely badly, like really extremely badly. Ordinary people do not want male people of any age, including adult, in their daughter's changing rooms. Ordinary people can see that it's very, very unfair to allow male people in female sports, and they think it's an outrage that you would put rapists in women's prisons. Ordinary people, once they understand that you're sterilizing children, there's no way back from that. You don't realise that these are the things that are being done in the name of this ideology that you have been told is kind and progressive and that's already sorted, it's all done. Every, everybody right-thinking already knows that that's what you're meant to do. It's not settled. It's not what ordinary people think. It's not right and it's not kind. So think again. Thank you, Ellen. You are a hero, honestly. You are a star. Oh, well, thank you for having me on, Paola. I'm so happy, really, because I hope that everyone who believes in free speech, who believes in reality, who believes in biology and science, will listen to this episode and then will share it with all their friends, because it's fundamental that everyone opens their eyes and understands what's going on. And I would like to take this moment to promote your book, Trans, When Ideology Meets Reality. It's a great book honestly I learned so much about it I'm uh, beginning to read it for the second time it's fundamental it's the most precious gift <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much thank you Helen and I hope we will have other episodes you know with you maybe debating about other topics ad maiora thank you thank, thank you. you stay tuned and we will come back with another episode please share with all your friends and leave a message leave a comment and don't be afraid of speaking up because we need brave people to speak up and talk about the truth and defend women's rights and children's rights thank you